Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Maybe figure out how to apply to your life. And the title of my message today is Tellers, Teachers, and the Voice Next Door. (laughs) Tellers, Teachers, and the Voice Next Door. I have this really vivid memory of when I was a kid. um, And the older I get, the less vivid memories I have of being a kid. But there's one that really stands out to me. I went on this uh, camping trip with uh, this sort of camping organization. It was called Royal Rangers, uh, which is like the, uh, the oversaved Pentecostal version of the Boy Scouts, okay, <laughs> if you're not familiar at all. And uh, I loved it. I, I thought it was amazing. My dad was not really the outdoorsy type, and I thought camping was kind of cool. And so uh, we, we went out, and uh, I had this exchange with this guy from a campsite that was like one campsite over, and he came over and, and uh, talked to me because I was, uh, I had this knife and a, the, another kid had asked for the knife. And so I gave it to him, like in the only way that made sense to me in my eight-year-old brain and just sort of like threw it, you know, like a little sidearm, <laughs> threw it over to him, which he did not enjoy. I thought it was kind of funny. And I noted like, uh, you ever do something where you're just like, this makes sense and you do it. And then by the reaction of other people, you're like, I don't know if that's okay, you know? <laughs> And I was noticing that, like, the kid that I threw to, he wasn't cool about it. The guy who was, like, uh, had taken us camping, he was, like, way off in the distance. But I could see him being, like, what's going on over there? And this guy at this next campsite is looking over, like, "Mm, that's not great. But he didn't say anything. He let it go. And then uh, there was another kid who asked for the knife a little bit later. And I passed it to him. And I kind of learned the lesson from the first time. I'm, like, throwing frowned upon, okay? So maybe a different approach. And so I just took the knife, blade out, and I just went to hand it to the kid, like, here, you know what I mean? And uh, apparently that's not the way you're supposed to do it either. Um, Because this, like, here with the blade out is also how you stab someone to death, like, you know what I mean? Or, like, uh, try and harm someone or murder them. And so, uh, like, the guy finally was just, like, he's watching for a distance, and he, like, he was, like, he came over, like, kind of quickly, and he was, like, hey, and he was really calm, but he was, like, hey, I know you don't know me, um, and he, like, waved to the guy who had brought us camping, and so I'm, like, they're making a connection, so I'm, like, I think this is okay. I'm not going to get stolen right now, um, but he's, like, can I just, can I show you something, and I'm, like, sure, and he proceeded to show me how to properly handle a knife. He's, like, you know, you don't want to throw it because, you know, the blade is out, and uh, you could hit somebody, and it could kill them. That's not great, you know, injure them, poke out an eye. Um, also, maybe don't hand the knife with the blade out because you're going to cut somebody. Even if they reached out to get the knife, where are they going to grab it? They just grab the blade and just slit their hand. That You don't want that. So he showed me how to do it properly. And then he made me practice handing it back and forth to him. And then uh, I was like, oh, okay. And then this, the, some other kids came up because they're like, what's going on with you and this strange man? You know. And so uh, he's like, you, this is how he passed the knife. And he sort of like walked us all through it. And then he left, and he walked away, and I never saw him again. And some of you are like, oh, what if it was an angel? And uh, I think it was just a weird old guy. I don't think it was an angel, but it could be. Maybe angels come in the form of weird old guys. I'm sure that could be possible and true, and we can find precedents in the Old Testament. But um, it was more just that this lesson stuck with me. And this is the thing that I think is crazy about it is this was so long ago, and yet I remember it very vividly. I remember the lesson. I remember uh, how he talked about it. I remember how to do it. Even now as I like handle a knife, 
uh, recently, like as I was like talking to my boys about knives, I'm like, it just, it's embedded in my brain. And the reason I bring this up is because I think that you've probably had an experience like this at some point in your life. Maybe it had nothing to do with camping, but a, a, a moment where somebody sort of stepped into your story and they, they taught you something. They showed you how to do something that was small, but it ended up being significant. You ended up utilizing it in a way that maybe you didn't think that you would. And it wasn't through a series of elaborate lessons. It was just one or two quick conversations. Maybe like this situation, it took less than two minutes for this guy to walk me through, to show me how to do it. And it stuck with me. Like to this day, that lesson has integrated into the way that I think about how to handle knives, uh, which I do a surprisingly lot of, you guys, uh, which may surprise you. And when I look back, it wasn't just what he said, but it was the way he said it, and it was also when he said it. Because how people say things is just as significant as what it is they're saying. And the timing is significant, too. Um, there are probably moments in your life where somebody told you something and you didn't need it right then. And so it just didn't stick to you. It didn't leave an impact because it didn't really matter at that moment. This happens every single time I do uh, marriage premarital counseling for couples, right? I'm giving them tools for marriage and I can see in their eyes, they're just like, we don't care. We don't care because we're going to be the exception. We're just going to be in love. And, um, you know, I think both of our love languages are physical touch. That's what we're feeling right now. And uh, we're going to be just fine. And that's why I'm like, that's fine. Your eyes can be glazed over. That's why I'm giving you all this information on papers. File it somewhere. You'll need it later. And then inevitably at year two, they call me and they're like, where's that packet at? Uh, I need that packet stat. Because I didn't need it then. And we have these moments too where, you know, I look back at this situation. I'm like, man, learning, getting this information almost any other way at any other time probably wouldn't have landed in the same way it did. It wouldn't have meant as much. And um, I, I think it's because of this principle of just about how we absorb information. Specific instruction is more impactful than static information. In other words, another way to say it would be, we don't just need to be told, we need to be taught. And this is why there's a lot of things that people tell you that just kind of go in one ear and out the other. But when people hands-on teach you in a way that you can receive, at a time when you need that information, it sticks, it's powerful, it stays with you. And I would argue that from my experience, the best teachers are knowledgeable, they are relational, they're observant, they're patient. They don't just hand you information, they interpret it and explain it and help you figure out what to do with it. Because as you know by the millions of Google searches that you've probably done, right, uh, learning is about more than just looking up information. You can look up a piece of information and still have no idea what to do with it or how to interact with it or at what moment to apply it and in what way. And this is why we will always need teachers because we need somebody who will step into our story, somebody who really gets us to help us get it, whatever it is that we need to learn in that moment. And this isn't just true about practical life lessons, like how not to murder someone accidentally on a camping trip. This is true of profound spiritual lessons. And because God knows us so well, because he made us, he understands this about us. And I think this is why 
God didn't just give us a handful of principles in Scripture. He gave us the person of Jesus to teach us. He didn't just like sort of give us a manual and be like, I told you, here you go. He gave us Jesus to sort of live life alongside real people and demonstrate how to do the thing. Uh, when Jesus shows up, he's, he's like, you know, let's not throw away the rule book, okay? Let's not discard the Old Testament, the law, the things that God has said in the past, but let me show you how to read it, how to understand it, how to make sense of it, what to do with it, how to contextualize it in your everyday life right now. And the thing I think is most remarkable about this is it's not just something that Jesus did. It's something that Jesus invites us all to do as well. In fact, it's not just an invitation, it's an expectation that he has in the life of every Christian. One of the last things Jesus says before, after he raises from the dead and appears to all, all of these disciples and then he sort of floats up and disappears into the heavens, he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all the commands I've given you. Now, to sort of unpack what this is talking about here, like, let me just give you some context for some of these buzzwords. Disciple, a disciple is really just means a hands-on student, right? It is someone who learns through interactive dialogue, not a one-sided monologue. So what I'm doing now is a one-sided monologue. For those of you that were wondering, like, can I come up on stage and we just talk this through? That's not really what this environment is about, right? But I hope that you are actually taking notes and writing this stuff down so that you can take it into a small group and have an interactive dialogue where it's like, what do I do about this? This was interesting. I'm not sure I know how to apply it, what to do with it. And uh, in, in, in this context, in the context of Scripture, often disciples were taught by seasoned rabbis. And a rabbi is essentially uh, a spiritual teacher who lived alongside of their students and modeled their principles in front of them. So it wasn't just something they were telling them to do. It was something they were showing them to do. It wasn't just something that they were telling them about. It was something that they were modeling in front of them, that they were living out and showing like, here's how to do it. Here's why it's important. Correcting them on the fly. And this is how Jesus interacted with his very first disciples. And then Jesus, who we would consider to be our teacher, our rabbi, he invites us to make other disciples, even though we are not seasoned rabbis. I know a lot of you. You are not a seasoned rabbi. You're, some of you are barely a disciple. And this is what is so crazy about the Jesus movement. On day one of somebody being like, I think I'm going to sign up to be a disciple of Jesus, one of the first things Jesus says is like, you need to find others to disciple. They're like, but I'm new here. And he's like, right, find someone newer. And then they can follow you as you're following other people as they're following other people, right? This is sort of the way that the system is set up. And, you know, we do this by living life alongside other people and modeling what it looks like, not just to know certain things, but to actually live this stuff in front of them, to live the principles of Jesus out in front of other people. Uh, but Jesus didn't call them principles. He called them commands. And it's sort of funny to me because he's like, he tells his disciples, Teach these new followers, these new hands-on students to obey all the commands I've given you. And you know how many Jesus gave? Two. It sounds like it's going to be a lot. All of them. Both, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> one and two? We're doing one and two. This is where he says it. Jesus is asked, like, you know, what, 
what, what should we be living life according to? And he reduces it to just this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which is helpful. You're like, this, is, this simplifies it. Just two things. And yet, these two things are kind of broad. They're kind of big. They're kind of all-encompassing. And maybe there's a part of you that's just like, that's awesome. How do you do that? Specifically in my life, my situation. Because maybe like me, you have moments where you're like, you know, I'm just going to love God. I'm going to love people. And then you get out in the middle of a situation. You're like, but how do I do it here with these people? Because they're way more annoying than anybody Jesus had to deal with. (laughs) And this situation, which didn't even exist in Bible times, And I don't even know what to do or how to navigate it or how best to love these people in this situation. Or, like, I feel like I could do this or that. I'm I'm lost. I'm not sure what to do. We want to know how to live it out, how to be most like Christ, how to be the best version of ourselves. But oftentimes we hit a wall and we're like, I know what to do. I don't know how to do it. And you know what would be helpful? Like Like a teacher, right? Not just being told what to do but actually having someone come alongside us and teach us. Maybe like a teacher who is, I don't know, knowledgeable and relational and observant and patient who could help interpret, explain, and help you know what to do with these ideas. And this is why God brilliantly decides to disciple people through other people. Like, he doesn't just build a relationship with us by himself, but he leverages other people to help us form that relationship. And the reason he does this is because having made us, he understands that we don't just need to be told, we need to be taught. And we have always been this way since the beginning of time. And this is why, this is the way that people have always sort of figured out how to connect with, hear the voice of God, and move in God's direction. I want to just give you an example of this um, from the Old Testament so you can see how long this has been around. And uh, this is from a story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can can turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. And this is a story, interestingly, uh, about a guy named Samuel. Um, And that's why they named the book after him. And then they were like, man, he did a lot of stuff. Maybe we should add a second one. So then there's 1st and 2nd Samuel. There's both of them there. Same guy. A lot of adventures. And this is sort of the beginning of his story. And this is how it starts, okay? A story about a guy building a relationship with a mentor to help him figure out how to hear and discern God. And the story opens with this. In those days, the days that this story takes place, messages from the Lord were very rare. Which is an interesting thing to read in the Bible because I think a lot of times we assume that people in the Bible found it easier to experience faith than we do, or that they heard God's voice better than we do now. But that's not really true. You know why? Because they're just people, just like me and you, which means they had times like me and you where they're like, I feel like I feel really close to God. Like I'm hearing um, what God, I know what God wants me to do. I know what direction to go. And then there's other moments where they're like, I feel lost. I don't feel connected to God at all. I have no idea what to do or which way to turn. I, I feel like I'm not getting any feedback from God. And these days are things that people in Scripture experience just like we experience them now. But I I think it brings up a really important question. 
that I think you and I ought to wrestle with today. And that is, are messages from the Lord, at least in your life, are they rare because God isn't speaking or because you are not in a position to hear him? Is it that, like, we know that they are rare, but why? Why does God's voice feel rare in your life? In, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, it tells us that, that Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle, and suddenly the Lord called out Samuel, the audible voice of God, speaks his name. He says, yes. Samuel replied. He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? He's talking to his mentor next door. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Now, just to recap what is happening here. Okay, you have this kid, Samuel, who lives in the tabernacle, which is like a church, and his job is to take care of the elderly priest who sleeps in the room next door. And God calls out to Samuel, and Samuel is in a position to hear God, and he does. I mean, he doesn't know that it is God, but he hears God. And the reason I say he's in a position to hear God is not because he is in a church, but because he is a servant. And I think a lot of times it's not about the, the, the location you're in, but it is about the position of your heart, of your soul, of your mind. And the position that Samuel is in is he is in the position of a servant. He has wrapped his life around serving and caring for and being there for other people. Actually inconveniencing himself to sacrifice on behalf of others and I think when we position ourselves in this way, we posture ourselves to experience God in a very real way. I would just tell you, like, if you want to receive direction from God, start by doing what you know he already wants you to do. And I would, I would wager that you probably have not done everything God has asked of you up to this point in your life but you're probably asking him to talk more to you. I think a lot of times we have this, like, God doesn't speak to me. And here's the, the thing that I would say to you. Like, why would he tell you something new if you still haven't done anything with the last thing he told you? It's a rhetorical question. I'll just give the answer. He probably won't. <laughs> this is sort of the way that interactions go with me when I do pastoral counseling all the time. And... So if you ever plan to come see me, I would love that. I'll just tell you in advance how it's going to go, okay? You'll come in, you'll talk to me about what's going on, and I will listen, and I'll be considerate and compassionate. I'll validate where you're at, and then you'll, at some point you'll be like, what should I do? And I'll say, well, here's the first step I would take, and I'll give you some instruction. And you'll nod, and then I'll be like, you should write that down. And then you'll write it down and put it in your phone, and then you'll leave, okay? And my assumption is you're probably going to maybe do that thing. And then if you come back, and you start to unravel that situation, I will stop you, and I'll be like, hold up, hold up. Did you do the thing I told you to do last time you were here? And if you say no, I will say, this meeting is over. Because <laughs> I have nothing else to tell you. Because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you the same thing, and you'll be like, yeah, that's so good. And then you're going to leave and not do it and come back. And then you're going to be like, what else should I do? And I'll be like, you should do the same thing I told you the last couple times. And then, I, you know, you're going to go away, and then you're going to come back, and then you're going to be like, I'm in this situation. I'm like, is it the same one you told me the last three times? Did you do the thing I told you five times ago? 
You still haven't done that. And at that point, I'm gonna get frustrated and I'm gonna stab you <laughs> with a knife being held the improper way. I know how to do it right and I still remember how to do it wrong. And you've had this experience too, like with your kids or a coworker. You're just like, man, maybe take the first step. But when God speaks to Samuel, he thinks it's Eli, which is funny to me. I mean, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like audibly, but my first guess probably wouldn't be, you know what? It's probably like, sounds like, a, like an overweight, asthmatic, groggily wheezing through the wall at me. Probably not my first guess. I'm sure if somebody was like, what do you think God sounds like? Your, your, your first guess is probably not like, <laughs> right? This is apparently, he heard something in this vein, and his first thought wasn't like, God? His first thought was like, oh, man, somebody needs to go bring that old priest a glass of water. And so he goes next door, and he's like, hey, did you call me? And, like, it wasn't, it wasn't him. But here's what's crazy. It was God. And this is, this is the reason why I think it's important to pause here. I think God often speaks to us in a familiar accent. He embeds the supernatural in the natural. He, he hides mystery in the mundane. And I think a lot of times we fail to recognize the voice of God, not because it's foreign, but because it's familiar. Because, in fact, it's so familiar we think that it can't be God. There's no way God would speak like that, sound like that, use that thing. But I think a lot of times we miss God because God sounds an awful lot like something we already know, like a song on the radio or a fleeting thought or the voice of an old asthmatic next door. <laughs> and I wonder if, if it could be that messages from God seem rare because you are looking and listening for him somewhere else. But he's not there. He's right here, right where you're at right now, speaking to you through the people and the things around you. I always think it's interesting that so many times we feel like we need to go somewhere else to experience God or hear God. And most of the time in scripture, God went to where people were and got their attention right where they were in the mundane all around them. And then they're like, oh, it's God. And he's like, yeah, it took you long enough. I've been here for a while. <laughs> but we don't see him. And in this story, Samuel hears from God, but he doesn't know it's him. And then hilariously, neither does Eli. Even though he's heard the voice of God before. Even though he is a priest who lives in a church. I will never be that spiritual. Right? You just live in the church, like in case you just want to start praying, you know, or speaking in tongues or playing the drums in worship at any moment, you can just do it. That's what this guy is doing, but he has no idea what's going on either. And so like any groggy parent, he tells uh, Samuel, go back to bed, man. And then God calls Samuel a second time, which is good news. I think it's good news, not just for this story, but for all our stories. Because I wonder if anybody else has ever struggled with the fear that God is going to tell you, like want to tell you something that's super important, 
but you're not going to be paying attention, so you're going to miss it, and then he will never tell you again, and you'll just miss out. Anybody struggle with that in your life? I feel like I have many times in my life. Like that God's response to me not paying attention in a moment where he's trying to get my attention will be like, this kid, he never listens. This is so frustrating. And I don't feel bad for him because I tried once, okay? And he thought I was someone else, okay? Which is offensive to me. And so, you know, I'm going to move on. It's a bummer because I was really going to, I was going to change the whole world through this kid. But now I'm going to move on and move on to the next person. Oh, well. Loser. <laughs> Isn't it weird that we sometimes like think that God, like that's how God works? That God is so loving that he'll whisper, and if we don't hear him the first time, he's like, you know what, I'm done with you. What a weird idea of a father. Especially a loving father like God. And what this story reveals is that if there's something God really wants you to know, and you miss it, he'll repeat it. And that's great news because I'm not always as spiritually attentive as I want to be. And I think there are things that God really wants us to know that we miss out on. And God doesn't just tell us like, you know, okay, I'll give you two shots or three. Three strikes and you're out. You know what I mean? God doesn't operate through baseball rules. It's kind of like I will tell you as many times as it takes for you to realize what I'm saying. God will repeat himself as many times as he needs to, but he will never make you hear him. You have to choose to do that on your own. And I wonder if there have been moments in your life where you didn't recognize this, but like you kept seeing the same sort of message everywhere. It didn't really originate with you, but it was like somebody said something, and you're like, yeah, whatever. It's probably just, and then you read something, and then you read a verse, and then you talked to somebody else, and then someone prayed for you, and it kind of came up again. And then you're like, this is getting weird. And then you turn on the radio and a song was like saying the same thing. And you're like, okay, this is getting creepy. This is getting weird. Could it be that God is just trying to get your attention through every means possible to point you in the direction that he wants you to go, to get your attention about the issue that you have been ignoring? I think it's very probable if God keeps bringing the same thing up for you over and over again, what does he intend for you to learn about that thing? And the best thing about this story is God is not angry when he does it. You probably have people in your life that get annoyed when they have to repeat themselves. God doesn't seem to be in this story. He never gets mad that Samuel is taking a long time to figure it out. He just lovingly and patiently repeats himself because that's who God is. And also because Samuel is a first timer. It tells us uh, in chapter 3 verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he'd never had a message from the Lord before. And I think sometimes we feel unspiritual because we don't know how to hear God in certain ways. But how would you know how to do something that you've never done before? We're just like, man, I, I guess God doesn't want to talk to me because uh, I haven't heard anything yet. How many times have you tried? Half a time? <laughs> it didn't work. I guess I'm not created to hear the Lord. But here's the thing. You were created to do a lot of things that you didn't know how to do or do well right off the start. You and I were created to walk and talk, but you didn't like pop out of the womb, you know, dancing <laughs> and quoting poetry. In fact, it took a lot of years and a lot of practice of you stumbling around and falling and like mumbling gibberish and giggling at yourself before 
like it, it actually worked out for you. And why would we think that hearing God in our lives would take any less practice or require any less coaching? And that's how Samuel saw Eli. He saw him as a spiritual coach. In other words, he was confident that no matter what life threw at him, that this old priest next door could walk him through whatever that was. And this is the question I think you need to wrestle through in your life. Who is that person for you? That no matter what life throws at you, you can reach out to them and they will give you godly advice. They will hone your perspective. They will help you hear what God is saying to you in that moment. Who is that in your life? Because not only does God choose to disciple people through other people, that God often speaks to people through other people, which can sometimes be frustrating because he doesn't always let us choose the people. (laughs) And sometimes it's not the people we want. They don't always come packaged in the way that we think they should. Like they're not as culturally successful or attractive or stylish as we wish they would be. We're like, God, this person, really? I thought it was going to be somebody like, you know, cooler. (laughs) And I don't know, like, how in touch you are, God, but they are not cool. But I got to tell you, God has a long history of speaking through uncool people in uncool ways. In fact, it is unlikely that the coolest people you know will be the wisest people you know. And the younger you are, the more you need to understand this principle. That the coolest people you know are not as likely to be the wisest people you know. You may want to expand your horizons a little bit. Because in reality, like the spiritual coaches in your life don't need to be cool. They need to be Christ-like. They need to reflect Jesus. They need to think and act like Jesus would. Not all the time because nobody's perfect, but do you see them growing and using Jesus as the filter through which they make their decisions and live their life? That's who you need speaking into your life. And Eli was not cool. Like Eli was an old man from a different generation. Scripture tells us in another place, this may make you feel uncomfortable, but he was significantly overweight. In fact, that's how he died. A chair broke and impaled him because he was fat. The Bible literally says that. Look it up and just enjoy your afternoon, okay? (laughs) He also, there's little evidence that he ever left the tabernacle, which means, like, he never left the church. Like, he had no idea what was happening out in culture. So Samuel, who ends up being one of the most spiritual people throughout all of the Old Testament, his go-to advice giver was a socially awkward old fat guy who never left his house. And here's what's really interesting about that. There is no evidence in Scripture that Samuel would have ever learned to hear the voice of God without him. Which is why I'm, so, I'm really grateful that Samuel wasn't as shallow as a lot of us. Because our lives are forever changed because Samuel listened to Eli. Because so much of our faith has been shaped by the Old Testament, which was significantly shaped by Samuel. He needed Eli, and there are people that you need in your life too that you may not want to need. I wonder who might be God be speaking through that you have turned a deaf ear to in your life. 
Because you want to hear from God, but not through them. Because you need these people in your life. And the reason you need them is that God uses the wisdom of those around you to interpret and confirm the things he's saying to you. If you're not leaned into people around you who also know and love God, you are likely to miss or misinterpret what God is speaking to your life. If we go back to the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says the Lord called a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli. Uh, Here I am, did you call me? And then Eli realized it was the Lord. And so he said, go lie down. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And a lot of us, we kind of get in this place where we're just like, you know, this is very American. We're like, you know what, I don't need other people. It's just me and God. That's It's just me and Jesus. I don't need to be a part of a church or a small group. I don't need other people in my life. It's just me and Jesus. But here's the thing I got to tell you, at least according to this story. Samuel hears the audible voice of God speaking directly to him by name, and it did not transform his life. How many times have you thought, like, man, if God would just speak directly to me, call me by name and tell me what he wanted me to know, like, that would be it. But that did happen to Samuel three times. And it did not change him because he needed Eli to help him know it was the voice of God and how to hear it and what to do about it, and how to respond to it. We need these sorts of people in our lives as well. And when God calls Samuel a fourth time, he takes Eli's advice, and he starts this conversation with God that changes his life and our faith. And I think that God wants to speak to you in the same way, in a very personal way, about your life and his heart and and our collective future, just like he did to Samuel. And I, I think that in large part, he wants to do this by connecting you to other people that will help teach and disciple you, that will help guide you, that will help you listen to the voice of God and help you make sense of what he's saying and how to respond, just like he did through Eli. And scripture is full of promptings that tell us how much we really need this. I'll give you some examples. Um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Now, I don't know if you can visualize this, but iron sharpening can be intense, right? It, it's, the, it's clanging and clashing, like sparks fly, friction happens. And so what, like, when we're sharpening each other, why is it worth actually inviting certain levels of friction in your life? Like, what's the point? What are, what are we wanting and how do we go about it? And the Bible doesn't make us guess. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So the point of sharpening each other is to grow, to become more like Christ in every imaginable way. Speaking the truth to each other in love is how we do that. Truth is what we say, and love is how we say it. Right, And this is why a lot of us have had interactions that maybe didn't go so well. And we're just like, you know what, I'm just speaking the truth. And it's like, I mean, kind of. I don't know why they don't like me because I'm speaking the truth. It's like, no, no, it wasn't the truth they had a problem with. It was just that you're a jerk. That was the part they didn't like. <laughs> you know, it wasn't necessarily the content, but it was just like you as a person, you know. I don't want to say it's personal, 
but it's, it's, it's you, you know? <laughs> and when we talk about how or what it looks like to communicate in love, this, this means our attitude and the tone that we use and the words that we choose and the motives of why we're approaching someone and even the timing. Sometimes people come at you at the wrong time and you just can't hear them. Sometimes they're giddy to tell you off and you can't hear them because it's like your motive isn't to make me better. It's to make me feel stupid. It's the attitude that they're coming at you with. Not an attitude of humility, but an attitude of arrogance. It's really hard to hear. It's the words they use that either don't make sense or feel so harsh that you can't wrap your head or your heart around it. All these things matter. And we're told in Scripture that speaking the truth in love, that should guide every conversation we have. But at the same time, this same exact author in another location tells us that we should, there's, there's even more specific guidelines when someone is claiming to speak on behalf of God. When someone is like, I feel like God is telling me something to tell you, that we should guard those words even closer. And this is the filter that he gives us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 says this. Those who give messages from God speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And unfortunately, a lot of us were like, I didn't even know that verse was in there because I think there's a lot of people ignoring it. <laughs> because we've had experiences with people where the opposite was true. Religious people that almost seem giddy to tell us something that they thought was God, that, from God that damaged, demoralized, and distressed us. And this verse is telling us very clearly, if someone comes at you with a message that they claim is from God, it ought to strengthen, encourage, and comfort you. It ought to build you up, not tear you down. It ought to feel like an act of love, not a source of shame for you. And if it doesn't, it probably means that either they're not telling you the truth or they're not telling you the truth in a loving way, that something has missed the mark in that conversation. So here's the big question. What do you do if somebody comes to you and says that they have something that they think that God is telling them to tell you? Or they want to give you advice on behalf of God. Or they want to steer you in a direction they believe is from God. How do you respond to that? Because if you hang around Christians long enough, it will happen to you. How do you respond to these people, whether it's an Eli you know or a Karen you don't? <laughs> I would give you the same filter, okay? And this is what it is. The first thing I would tell you is to weigh it, to weigh it. And the way that you would do this is to use what I call the ABC filter, which asks, is this affirming, is it biblical, and is it Christ-like? So let me explain what I mean by this. Affirming, meaning essentially, does it reflect 1 Corinthians 14.3? Right? Is the thing that I'm being told, is it going to strengthen me? Is it going to encourage me? Is it going to comfort me? And if it doesn't fit that filter, then I would question the message. The B is for biblical, right? Which asks us the question, like, is what they're telling me I should do? Or God wants me to do or know? Is it consistent with the whole of Scripture? And appropriate accurate interpretation of scripture or is it just sort of one verse cherry picked and taken out of context because a lot of people do that with a lot of things if you're looking for one verse out of context to affirm 
and tell you that you can do whatever you want to do, oh, you'll find it. But if you start reading the verses around it, if you look into the history, if you start to figure out what's actually being said, you'll find the correct meaning really quickly. And sometimes it's not what you wanted it to be. And the third thing is, is it Christ-like? Does it reflect the words and way of Jesus? The thing I will often ask is, if somebody is like, you know, I feel like God is saying, I'm like, if I do this, if I believe this, if I move my life in this direction, am I going to end up living more like Jesus? Am I going to think more like Jesus? Am I going to talk more like Jesus if I do this thing? And not only do I think you should weigh the message, I think you should weigh the messenger. Jesus actually tells us pretty bluntly that we can evaluate or judge people based on their fruit. In other words, what is your life producing and does that product look like Christ? And I would just tell you, if somebody is trying to give you all kinds of words on behalf of Jesus, but their life doesn't look anything like Jesus, I don't know that I would take a lot of advice from them. It got quiet, so I'm going to go ahead and move on. Uh, number, <laughs> number two, some of you are like, i got to unfollow some people on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> the second thing is to wait on it. Wait on it. And this is why I say this. Just because something is from God doesn't mean it's for now. And a lot of times God is gracious enough to give us a preview of what he wants to do through us or in us at a later time so that we can begin preparing for what he has for us. But we want everything now. And so a lot of times we are going to have to resist the temptation when God gives us a glimpse of what he wants to do in and through us to either uh, force it to happen in our timing or dismiss it as not being from God because it didn't happen quick enough. You know, God, God gave me a big dream, and he didn't accomplish it in two days, and so I guess I didn't hear from God. Scripture is full of messages that took forever to fall in place. And what I mean by forever, years, decades, generations, what kind of message is God giving you? Wait. And yet... I want to be clear that pausing doesn't mean being passive. Because if, if, if whatever it is you feel like God is speaking passes through these first two filters, the third thing you're going to want to do is to walk in it. And I would tell you that God doesn't expect you to do it all, but he does expect you to do your part. Every single time Jesus does a miracle in the Gospels, he gives somebody something to do. Does that mean they did the miracle? No. But they did their part. And God asks for us to demonstrate our faith to him in taking some small step in the direction of what it is we are asking for. And I wonder for you, like, man, I can't make this whole thing happen, but what's a practical first step you could take? What is something that you could do now that will set you up for what God has promised you later? And a lot of us are not taking those steps and what I found is when you take the first step, oftentimes it's then that God reveals the next step and the next, the next. Sometimes we think we're waiting on God and God's like, no, 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 I'm waiting on you. I already, I already told you. Well, I need direction. Maybe follow the first direction and the next sign will appear. But sometimes we don't want to do that. And here's the bottom line of this, this whole thing. You need in your life to give someone permission to regularly challenge you to be more like Jesus by lovingly and graciously questioning your attitudes 
actions and approach to all things in life. You need them to tell you the truth in love. You need more than just to look up information in scripture. You need to be discipled by a teacher. You need something more than to just be told. You need to be taught. And that requires relationship building with other people. And the reason you need this is because God consistently, all throughout human history, speaks to us through others. And that's why I want to challenge you this week to share with a Christian that you respect in your life something that you feel like God might be speaking to you. And then while you're sitting with them, run it through the ABC filter. Like, is this thing affirming, biblical, and Christ-like? Why or why not? Have that conversation with that person in your life. And here's what I think. They may be closer than you think. It's probably somebody that God has already put in your context. It's probably already somebody that God has placed around you, and maybe you've ignored them because their voice sounds so familiar, it can't be used by God. Or maybe there's no way God could speak through them. They're not cool. I think you might be surprised. I think God wants to speak to you through the ordinary people around you. I think in a lot of ways, your best chance of learning to hear him is through them. And I wonder what would happen if over the course of these next few weeks that you made it your goal to lean into the people around you who demonstrate in little ways that they are moving in the direction of Jesus that there are things about their life, although imperfect, that you can see them continuously surrendering to Jesus, that they are really making an effort to think and act and live and speak like Jesus, giving those people access to your life to help you learn to hear the voice of God. Because I wonder if just like Samuel, if you have the right Eli leaning into you, if it has the power not just to change how you experience God, but who you think you are. How you can move in the world. What God wants to do in and through you. And what that's going to look like moving forward. I think it's not just essential that you learn to hear from God for yourself. I think it's essential that you learn to hear from God for everyone around you. Because when God is the one guiding you, everyone in your life benefits. And that's what I want to pray into your life today. Would you bow your heads a, a, across this room? God, I know you see every person here. You see past the facade and you see direct into our hearts and minds. And God, I believe that you are always wanting to communicate with us. A lot of times we just don't know how to hear you. And for many of us, you have designed us to hear what is next for us through those around us. And God, I pray that you would help us illuminate to us the relationships that we can lean into. Maybe they're people that are older than us. Maybe they're people that are younger than us. But these people, they look like and they live like Jesus. They center 
the decisions in their life around the person of Jesus. There are things about them that we're like, man, I want to experience that too. And God, I pray that you would leverage them and their wisdom to help disciple us and lead us to hear you, to experience you, to sense you, to be guided and directed by you, and to move forward into what you have for us in the future. God, we are grateful that you are constantly speaking to us through so many different avenues. Give us the ability to hear you and then give us the courage to obey you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.